Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we come to you as your people. We come together through your Holy Spirit, knowing that we are one body, uh, even when we are apart. And Lord, we, even in this time of pandemic and of unrest, find our rest in you. It is you, Lord, who calms the storms of our lives. It is you who give us the strength to imagine new and better possibilities for the world around us. And we pray that that same spirit, uh, which is poured out through the word this morning, would be seeds in our hearts to bear fruit in our lives. We pray this in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Growing up in New Hampshire, I learned to love the water. We spent many summers at Lake Nubanusit, and uh, Lake Nubanusit is not a great big lake, uh, but it is a very deep lake, and it's a lake touted, and uh, New Hampshire likes to brag about it, as so clean that the water in this lake is certified drinkable. Um, there's 50 plus feet of water clarity, and at its, at its deepest, it's over 200 feet deep. And I loved it. I would swim regularly long past the summer months, proving my teenage manliness with frigid October swims. Um, I thought of myself as a strong swimmer. Uh, I've been swimming there for, for years and I was experienced in the water. Well, when I arrived in San Diego, my freshman year in college, my dorm was just 300 yards from the Pacific Ocean. And at 17 years old, I had finally escaped the confines of my little New England town, and it was great. Uh, about a month after arriving at Point Loma, my floor took a camping trip up the coast to San Onofre, uh, just next to an old decommissioned nuclear reactor. It was, I was learning to surf, I was learning to body surf, and I was a strong swimmer, right? I could just dive right in. I can be confident, I've been swimming my entire life. Well, it turns out that the main difference between the ocean and a lake is not just the amount of salt in the water, but the complexities of currents and waves. Lake Nubanusit never tried to kill me. I had never been in a rip current. I had never heard of a rip current before. And that weekend, surrounded by a bunch of California natives, and I swam out to ride the waves in. I was body surfing. And slowly, almost imperceptibly, the current drew us, all my friends and I, out to sea. Now, all my friends seemed to get out of the current without a problem and, and battle their way back to shore. But the harder I stroked, the more I realized that I was trapped. The waves just keep, kept rolling in, and only a few feet high, probably three feet high, they were plenty big uh, to hold me under for a few seconds at a time. And set after set came in and pounded me and sucked me down and threw me around, swirled me underwater. And I had only enough time to gasp for air before the next set drew me under once again. Now, at some point in this process, I realized that I was about to die. Uh, I remember coming to grips with this idea um, that, oh my gosh, this really is the end. A few more minutes and I would surely be drowned. Um, Jonah, Jonah has a particular calling, one that was by no means fun, to go and tell Israel's horrible enemy, Nineveh, that judgment was coming, going into the city, and he was supposed to tell them that destruction would come upon them. 
Now, we all know the story. Jonah runs. He jumps on a ship and he heads off to Tarshish. The only problem is that, of course, God is also in Tarshish and on the boat and everywhere in between. And the Lord is hovering over the surface of the deep. And Jonah gets caught in a terrible storm. The sailors are trying to figure out what is happening when he finally confesses that it's his, that he is the one bringing this plight upon them and is thrown overboard. And the great creature of the sea comes and swallows him whole. And in the belly of that beast, in the pit, he prays this from our reading this morning. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. And at the roots of the mountains, I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Jonah's realizing he's going to die. Yet you brought me brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. Jonah was surrounded by great big things. There was a great big city of Nineveh. There was a great big calling of God on his life. There was a great big storm with great big waves and a great big fish. And all of these great big things rise up around Jonah and tower over him, close in around him. And in the heart of the seaweed, with it wrapped around his head, he went down to the land of the dead forever, where his story should have ended. In the Old Testament, the sea, waves, and storms represent this chaotic, untamed, unknown a place of unruly creation where the monsters of the deep reside. Throughout the scriptures, the sea is painted as a place of disorder and unrest, a place where God's dominion needs to be imposed. In the book of Revelation, it says that there will be no more sea. And this could be literal, but I think it's a lot more likely that this is a reference to the end of chaos and the evil that it represents. Now, the disciples in our gospel story, didn't seem all too pleased with the sea either, did they? They also are on a boat in a storm. Many are fishermen, experienced on the water, but the boat, uh, the boats used for fishing in Galilee were not very big, um, not big at all. And it would not take very much by the way of waves to cause major concern for them as they're trying to cross. The ocean stirred and they were far from shore in the middle of the night. I picture the waves lapping up into the boat and the wind howling and the disciples starting to realize the way that I did in the Pacific Ocean that they were going to die. Death breathing icy cold chills on their necks. I was coming to grips with the immediacy of my own death between the pounding sets of waves when I heard it. I heard it like a bolt of lightning in the dark that illuminates everything in an instant. The voice of a lifeguard calling out through the waves. He had seen me struggling in the rip current um, and swam out to save my life. And he threw me this little torpedo-shaped flotation device and asked me to kick as hard as I could. And it turns out the most important thing to do in a rip current is to swim sideways. Many of you may know this, but if you don't, this could save your life. 
you swim sideways because the current is incredibly strong, but it's very narrow. And once you break free of it, you can pretty easily swim back to shore like normal. Both Jonah and the disciples have their own lifeguard moments. The arrival of light and hope into a seemingly despairing situation. Jonah remembers and Peter pursues. And in each case, they find what the Lord is calling for them to be. Jonah remembers. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord. And my prayer came to you, into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope. They forsake steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. For Jonah, the idols of his own pride and security and nationalism are laid bare in the depths of the sea in this place of utter despair. And he finds his voice simply in thanksgiving and finds salvation in his confession. The Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah back onto the shore. But it is the remembrance of the Lord that makes his salvation possible. The word remember evokes the whole history of God's people, the things that God has done for Israel, over and over and over and over again, God calls his people to remember, to remember who they are, to remember whose they are and what God has already done for them in the history of their nation. Jonah had not remembered the Lord for the whole of this book. He had purposely, in fact, ignored and forgotten the Lord. And that's how he ended up in the belly of a great fish. In many senses, Jonah is representative of the whole people of God. They are called to be a blessing to all nations, to provide a witness for the God of Israel to the nations of the world, even when the world is oppressing them. And Jonah, Jonah walks away specifically from that mission in his life, from that calling to go to Nineveh. And finds the Lord, and finds the Lord, finds his memory in the heart of the sea, in the deepest and darkest place. But Jonah remembered, and it made all the difference. Peter, however, pursued. For the disciples, their lifeguard experience was as physical as it was spiritual. They looked out across the waves, and Jesus, they saw, coming toward them. And rightfully, Reasonably, they think that something supernatural is happening. And when they, they call out, they think that it is a ghost. Who could walk across the waves, after all? And in this moment, Jesus calls out to them, It is I, do not be afraid. Jesus arrives trampling the chaotic sea under his feet. And the waves and the wind come under his dominion. And he finds his buffeted disciples in desperate need of his 
dominion. Peter calls out, Lord, if it is you, call me out to you on the water. Now, we all know how this ends for Peter, right? But he is, after all, the only one with the guts to even ask. In fact, I wonder if he's the only one with the guts to think to ask. Who in their right mind, in the middle of a storm, fearing for your life, wants to go walk on the water? No one. Peter is crazy. But he's the right kind of crazy. But I think Peter has imagination in this moment. He is not satisfied just to stop being afraid. If Jesus is walking on water, Peter wants more than what staying in the boat will give him. He wants to trample the waves under him too. And Jesus invites him to come out. And while the other 11 guys are still terrified in the boat, Peter walks on water. He walks on the water towards Jesus, the storm still raging around him because he wants to find what Jesus has for him, what Jesus is able to do for him. Peter walks on water because he got out of the boat. But the waves roar for his attention, and the wind wrestles his courage from him. He starts to sink. He starts to fall. Immediately, though, Jesus reaches down and grabs him to pick him back up again. The ESV uh, renders this verse and Jesus' response, Oh, you of little faith, why do you doubt? But Jesus does not use the word apistis, um, which is used other places in the New Testament for literally untrusting or unbelieving. Instead, he says something closer to, Why do you hesitate? Why do you waver? Peter pursued Jesus, but he also needed to remember, to remember who he was pursuing, to remember that the waves were already under Jesus' feet and under his feet, to remember who he was looking at, who he was moving toward. And I can certainly give Peter grace in this moment. After all, he was the only one with the imagination and the guts to get out of the boat of all, even if he does eventually sink. And when he falters, Jesus is there to catch him and pick him back up and bring him to the boat to safety. And the moment they got back into the boat, the whole sea and storm come calm and they worship him. Friends, we are in a storm. We are in the waves, waves of uncertainty, waves of loss, and waves of fear and exhaustion. We simply have no idea when this storm will pass. And that is perhaps the most troubling and most difficult thing of living through this pandemic and social unrest. Those things are constant, along with the political noise that is everywhere around us, and they all have this grinding effect on our lives. But when we are in the heart of the sea, when we are a lost cause in the boat, when the waves are about to pull us under for the very last time, the Lord is our salvation. Like a bolt of lightning in the dark that makes visible all things that are invisible. Like a lifeguard coming to pull us up from the depths. But how do we respond 
to the Lord's salvation and gratuity toward us. When we are losing strength, when we don't know how to swim anymore, how do we respond to the strong arm of the Lord ready to pull us back up? Well, I would say that we should remember, we should pursue. We should remember. I think it starts with telling the story of what God has done for us in Jesus and the life, the death and resurrection and the sending of the Holy Spirit. But it doesn't end there. From that place, our remembrance should extend into our own lives. When we are feeling the seaweed around our heads, as Jonah puts it, we should remember all the ways the Lord has powerfully acted in our own lives. Because we have an uncanny ability to forget even the most recent ways that God has been incredibly kind and good and revealed himself to us. Take a few moments this week and write down five to ten times in your life that you saw the Lord act in a powerful way. By the time you are done, you will feel like you have been shaken out of a dull haze, repentant and forgiving. Uh, rep repent of forgiving. <laughs> Thanksgiving and repentance are spiritual nutrition. But also pursue. When we are exhausted, it can be easy to just want to hang on to the edge of the boat, to pray that God calms the storm, which he will. But when we remember who it is that we worship, we can have a bigger imagination than that. We don't have to wait for the weather to calm before we follow Jesus into new and uncharted territory of our lives. Because if or when we fall, he is there to catch us. The Lord wants more for us than just holding on for dear life. He wants us to walk with him through and on the storm. I want to close with a very specific invitation. Friends, I am still new here. Many of you uh, have not met me in person, although thankfully I'm slowly getting to meet people through these outdoor services. And there has been so much change in the life of this church. However, I want to encourage you to let me in, to let me know how I can help you as a pastor in this time. How can, I, how can we walk together with Jesus in whatever storms we're facing? I recently opened up a number of time slots on my pastoral care calendar uh, appointment. And friends, I understand that might feel very wooden and, um, and cold to have to sign up for a slot, but it's the easiest way for us to have a Zoom link and to share calendars. You are never going to inconvenience me or trouble me by reaching out. I want to be there with you. But in large part, due to our circumstances, I am blind to what you are going through unless you let me in. For some of you, that is a really scary thing. I get that. Trust has to be earned. I can also help find you a spiritual director, and I'd encourage all of you to try to find a spiritual director um, to walk with you. Um, that won't change when the new rector comes, a stable voice in your life. I have been greatly encouraged by my spiritual director. Uh, it's been a life-giving, uh, life-changing uh, relationship. But even if it is un uncomfortable to reach out to me or to someone else, this is an opportunity to get out of the boat. It's an opportunity to say, no, I, I want more than what my imagination is allowing right here. So come, sign up, give me a chance to come walk with you and discover what waves we can trample. Pray with me. Lord Jesus, I pray that you 
Send us your spirit, your spirit to remember, to remember all the good things that you have done in our lives for the ultimate good that you've made possible through your son, Jesus. And Lord, also call us to pursue that, Lord, we might have the courage to pursue you even when the storm is still raging, to pursue you into the places you are calling us that we might know fruits that you have prepared for us. We pray all these things in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.